This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning everyone. Uh, welcome to the new year, the new decade. Okay, let's go to God as we come to God's Word today, this morning. Okay, dear Father, as we come before you today, I really pray once again that your Word will speak powerfully to us. And especially as we come uh, to your Word in the book of Mark, uh, that indeed it refreshes us and uh, helps us to be full of joy at the good news that it brings. And we pray for all these things in the name of good Jesus Christ. Amen. What's the news today? Okay, what is the news? Uh, have you read the news recently? So I brought the newspaper, uh, and I'll be referring to it later. But really, when you look at the news today, it's really full of bad news, right? So when you look at the news, it's about global warming. It's about uh, riots and protesters around the world. It's about superpowers having trade wars. And even at a personal level, uh, when you read like the, the, the you know, sections about life or personal stories, it's full of anger, uh, malice, unhappiness. Uh, just this morning I was reading about, uh, you know, there's this poor guy who uh, is being disturbed by his neighbors downstairs and they're playing lots of loud music and things like that. It's like wherever you turn in the news, it's full of bad news. So just recently, someone actually sent me this very interesting article, which was in the Wall Street Journal, which basically said that, uh, you know, if, you're, if you don't believe in, your, in, in God yourself, then uh, what this psychologist suggests is you should lie to your children and pretend there is a God. Uh, and the reason why the psychologist says so is because uh, the world is such a dangerous and negative and bleak place now that it actually affects uh, the mental health and the emotional health of young people. And as a result, this person who doesn't seem to be a Christian at all says you should lie to your children and just pretend there is a God so that they would have at least some hope in this world. Now, really, when you think about it, <clears throat> when is the last time you've heard good news? Okay, just, you know, reflect for a second. When is the last time you've really heard good news? Uh, I really struggled with that question when I was preparing the sermon. I was thinking, when is the last time I've really, really heard a piece of really good news. And for that good news, how long did that good news actually last for? Well, today in the passage, we are told of good news. And the way that Mark writes is actually very short, pithy sentences, right? You know, if you look at the book of Mark, he's not like the other gospel writers. He doesn't spend a lot of time with a lot of explanation editorials. He gets straight to the point. And that's what we see in verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, you see up here on the slide, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, or Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. So what we're reading today, what we're holding in our hands right now, is good news. Right? Mark wants to tell us right from the very start, this is good news. And he begins to tell us in this very simple sentence, why it is good news, why it is such great news that we should pay attention. And he begins by saying, the beginning of the good news. Now, what a strange way to begin, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, if you were to write about my life, you would say the beginning of the good news of Andrew Ong would be maybe at my birth or maybe when my parents, uh, you know, conceived me or something. But when you look at this passage, the beginning of the good news here that we read of Jesus, 
doesn't begin at his birth or even at his parents, but it begins even way, way beyond that, 800 years ago with the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah basically lived, if you look at the next slide, um, right, around 800 years before the coming of Jesus. So 800 years before the coming of Jesus, God had already been preparing the way for this good news to come into the world. And what Mark is really saying is this good news is not just some happy accident, but it's a long time coming. This good news is a long time coming. And as we have read before in our responsive reading, uh, it comes in Isaiah chapter 40, and Isaiah chapter 40 says this, it says, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground become level, the rugged places a plain, the, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now this is a very, very important verse, and we're going to be coming back to it, okay? But you, the first thing I want you to see is that God had already said that He, he is coming, and as He comes, He will send a messenger ahead of Him to prepare the way for God's coming. So the first thing we read about this good news is that this good news is a long time coming. More, hundred, more than 800 years before the coming of Jesus, this good news is already being promised by God. But this good news is able to come 800 years before the coming of Jesus because, as we see in the passage, uh, the next slide, <clears throat> because it comes through Isaiah, the prophet. Excuse me. Because it comes by Isaiah, the prophet. And that means that actually it is able to come a long time coming because it is sovereignly divine by God himself. Now, when you think about the news, right? So I know I brought up my, my newspaper. When you think about news, good news is always in the past tense, right? So uh, Liverpool wins the Champions League or something, right? Okay. Or, you know, this year economic growth has been really good. Or, you know, something happened this, you know, today that we read about, which is good news. But, but the good news that Mark speaks about is able to be projected into the future because it comes from Isaiah. And Isaiah just isn't some sort of newspaper journalist. He's actually a prophet. And so God himself is speaking through Isaiah and promises this good news. So this good news is not just something which happens in history, but it comes from God. And it doesn't just come from God, it is about God himself. Because it is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And when it says here, the Son of God, it is not just this random description of Jesus being, uh, you know, somehow a descendant of God. Really what it's saying is, in Jesus, the coming of Jesus, it is good news because God himself, fully divine, comes into our existence, comes into our world, our history. And that's why if you come back to the Isaiah passage again, uh, the Isaiah passage again, you see that if you look at the original context of the Isaiah passage, 
the expectation is not for a human being to come into this world, but of God to come into this world. That's what it says here, isn't it? It says, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. So this good news, because it's a long time coming, it is from God through the prophet Isaiah, and it is about God, Jesus, the Son of God, who comes into the world. So if you think about all the amazing people who come into the world, right? Uh, maybe Einstein or a great president or a general. These are all people who come into the world once in history, right? But when you see Jesus come into the world, it is actually a once in eternity uh, good news. It is actually God himself who comes into the world. And that's the very nature, the very essence and the very reality and matter of Jesus. Now, if you if you, if you know that the very essence of the person coming to the world is God in himself, then it shouldn't surprise us then that the title that this person assumes, the responsible office that this person assumes, would then be the Messiah or the Christ. So when it says that Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ, it is not as if Jesus' surname is uh, Mr. Christ, right? Right, you know, my name is Ong, right? You don't call me Andrew the Ong, right? It's like, you know, it's like Christ is the title, right? So Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Now, the Christ or the Messiah is literally the anointed one where someone is anointed with oil. And this anointing is a coronation ceremony for someone who would be king. Uh, so in our own mind, when we think of um, <clears throat> someone who is coronated as a king, you know, we think of, uh, you know, someone who kneels down before the other king and then the, the other king puts the sword on both sides of their shoulders. Uh, but in Israel, in God's people, in the ancient world, how they were coronated is not by the sword, but they were coronated by the putting of oil on their head. And for the Jews, the expectation was there would be the Christ, <coughs> the king. The everlasting king would be king of all kings. And it is good news because there is only one, the Christ. Uh, there is only one, the Messiah. Uh, there can be many, many presidents, many, many prime ministers, many emperors, but there's only one, the Christ and the Messiah. And that's why, <clears throat> right at the very beginning, we're told this is good news. So if you look at the summary, this is good news because it is good news, a long time coming, promised by God Himself. It is good news from God Himself, which He promises. And it's good news about the Son of God, who is God in Himself, and who is Christ, the everlasting King. Now this is so important that we get this right. You know, because if you don't get the foundation right, then everything gets screwed up. Because Christianity... It's not about church. Uh, Christianity is not about a famous Christian. Christianity really is about the good news of this person, Jesus, and our relationship with Jesus. That's, that's all it is, really. Christianity is not about uh, you know, rules and regulations. It's not about code of conduct. It's not about philosophy. It is a relationship with this person called Jesus Christ. He is 
the good news that we come to know. He is the good news for whom we have a relationship with. That is the sum total, the content that defines Christianity. And I think what you'll find is as we go through the book of Mark, um, Mark is very different from the other Gospels because there's very little in terms of rules and regulations, right? It's all about Jesus. And it's all about getting into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And that's why Mark begins this way. It's the good news about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Now the passage then goes on where it says, uh, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and this is where you have to follow in your Bibles or on your phones because uh, I didn't really want to print out everything for you again. But it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at this passage here, Isaiah tells us basically that there are three things uh, to look for in preparation of this coming one, isn't it? So the three things are really that the messenger is coming ahead of you. This messenger will be identified as calling out in the wilderness and he is preparing the way for the Lord, for God. Now, if you wanted to then identify the forerunner or the messenger of Jesus, then you should be looking out for these three things. And that's why in the very next verse, in, uh, in the book of uh, the Gospel of John, it says, And John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. So John the Baptist here is the one who is preparing the way, making straight and flattening the paths for Jesus to come. And how does he do that? He preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, again, uh, the way that Mark writes actually is, is really deep, right? Because he doesn't like give lots and lots of detail. He just gives you one sentence and you're kind of like meant to reflect and think and chew and, and ponder over it. So what does this mean? Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the way that John is preparing the way for Jesus. Well, first of all, <clears throat> We might be very familiar with baptism, especially as Christians, you know. Baptism is either putting water on you or, you know, dunking yourself underwater. So we think that it's a very common practice. But actually in the Old Testament, um, we don't see many people getting baptized, right? Baptism is not something which was commonly practiced. It's only a Christian practice, right? But in the past, they didn't really practice baptism. Only once in a while then they practice baptism. But baptism really is a symbolism, right? You know, the water washing or going underwater is a symbol of cleansing, right? A, a fresh start. So here, what John was doing was he was practicing a symbol 
of a fresh start of repentance. Now this word repentance is key in the book of Mark. In order to be to welcome this good news, to respond rightly to this good news, the first thing we learn in Mark is you need to repent. So repentance, as you can see in this picture, is really a change of direction. Okay, so that's, uh, that's what repentance is really about. It's like making a U-turn in your life. You are changing direction and instead of living for yourself, you are reorientating your life, making a U-turn, making a 180 degree turn and changing to God. Right? It's like changing your mind, your heart, your will, your volition so that you turn away from your own self and you turn to God. <clears throat> so instead of doing your own thing, uh, living for yourself, uh, living according to your own rules and regulations, repentance is all about living for God, living according to His expectations. So what repentance fundamentally is, is saying that I'm no longer my little G God, but I'm, but I'm actually living under the big G God. Now you can sort of understand then that this would make a lot of sense, isn't it? Because in order to receive Jesus into your life, in order to receive this good news, then I can't be living for myself. I need to be recognizing the real God and I need to be reorientating my life back towards God. Now, this would be uh, a great shock, isn't it? Because for, for many people, they think that being a Christian is basically about faith and belief. But if you look in the Gospel of Mark, the first thing that is being spoken of here, the first things, is of repentance, not of just faith and belief. Now, <clears throat> this is why really Christianity and accepting Jesus, rightly understood, is a stumbling block for many, many people. Because it's easy to just believe and have faith, but to repent means that there is a sacrifice there is a cost in my life. So, unfortunately, uh, there are many, many people who come to the Bible, who come to God's Word, who come to Jesus Christ, but they are unable to receive the benefits of this good news because they are unwilling to repent. They do not have a problem with the historical reality of Jesus. Neither do they have a problem with understanding the Bible Neither do they have a problem with the intellectual side of uh, the Bible. It is a, it's a repentance problem. And actually in the world that we live in, increasingly, repentance is a very offensive word. People are not willing to change the orientation of their life. Uh, so, <clears throat> Joshua Ng came uh, a few weeks ago to preach at our church and he actually asked me to help with his uh, slides, right? Because, you know, I'm improving my slides now, right? So, so he asked me to do this slide, but for some reason he took it out, I think, in one of the sermons. I think maybe he thought it would be a bit offensive. Okay, the next one. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, next one. The Israel flower one, I think. Okay, next one. Okay, so, in Australia, there's this very huge uh, issue with this rugby player. Okay, his name is Israel Folau. And he's not like some minor rugby player, right? He's like the top try scorer in Australian rugby today. But because he's a Christian, he likes to post things on social media. So, you know, he posted this 
tweet, which is the literal uh, reproduction of it, where he says that, you know, hell is coming uh, and you need to repent. And so people got very offended. And they got so offended by his tweet that actually they uh, forced him to, uh, to be sacked from playing professional rugby in Australia uh, for good. So he can't earn money playing rugby professionally in, America, uh, sorry, in Australia anymore because he's calling people to repent of their behavior. See, at the heart of it, people find repentance a very offensive term because in the world that we live in today, if I call for you to repent, then what I'm saying is basically your life and your lifestyle is wrong. But in the world we live in, that's a big uh, no-no, right? Because I shouldn't be saying that you, you, what you believe in or the way you live is wrong because I should be affirming you instead. Uh, but the Bible doesn't do that. Right? The Bible actually says, as John prepared the way for Jesus, he said, repent, right? repent in order to receive this good news. So I remember reading this quote in uh, the newspaper, I think it was in the Guardian newspaper, where there was someone who said that, oh, Christianity is untrue, irrelevant, and intolerant. And I was thinking to myself, actually, um, the problem that many people have with Christianity is more about that they feel that Christianity is intolerant. So I remember reading this book a while ago, you can still <coughs> borrow from me one day, where it says, that actually for many people who are atheists, uh, the problem is not an intellectual problem. The problem really is a repentance problem. Right? People are not willing to change and reorientate themselves back to God uh, in order for them to actually believe in Christianity or Christ. The heart is the stumbling block, which then leads to the mind rejecting Jesus Christ. But here in the passage... It tells us that John came baptizing for repentance so that forgiveness of sins may be received. Right, so go back to the next slide. Is it still there? Yep. So John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, John was only the forerunner. Right? John was only the messenger. So, he himself and himself uh, could not forgive sins. Uh, only the one that came later for good, could forgive sins. He was, John the Baptist's work was only preparatory, right? He was preparing for the one who could come to forgive sins. So, I think this is very important, right? Because that means that the good news, the heart of the good news is about the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so the next slide, I think, do I have it? Oh, okay, yeah, I think click twice, right? Oh, yeah, okay, so the heart of the good news that comes with Jesus is the forgiveness of sins. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I get bad dreams uh, sometimes, nightmares. And I have this uh, peculiar nightmare, which uh, seems to be repeating itself at various stages of my life. And this is my dream, okay? What happens is I go to sleep, and then uh, I have this dream where the next morning I have like a really, really hard exam paper, like advanced mathematics or something, right? Okay. And in my dream, I haven't finished preparing for the exam. And in my dream, I wake up late somehow 
and I'm late for the exam, so that when I get into the exam room, people have already started uh, writing uh, their answers. And then to my great horror, in my dream as well, when I open the paper, it's all in Mandarin. Right? <laughs> now, I've had this uh, dream uh, more than once, and I realized that uh, this dream uh, seems to uh, have taken place usually when I have a big assignment or a big meeting uh, the next day with someone like who is quite senior from me, right? So, you know, when I was an accountant before, maybe my financial controller or my MD or, you know, some big shot is coming and I've got to prepare some excitement, right? Then I get these strange dreams, right? And fundamentally, the dream is trying to tell me that I feel that I'm not ready. Right? I'm not ready to meet this person because I'm not ready to come into that person's presence to prepare my report. Well, I feel like in the same way, what the Bible is telling us as we go through the book of Mark, uh, it's actually saying to us that we are not ready to meet God, right? We're not ready to meet God. That's the fundamental problem in the Bible. We're not ready to meet God. But the good news of Jesus is He brings forgiveness of sins so that we are able to meet God. We don't have to have this fear anymore. And that's why it's such great news, because John the Baptist comes preparing the way so that when Jesus comes, forgiveness of sins can be received. Now the passage then keeps going on, <clears throat> verse 7 to 8, right? It says, And this was John's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now this is uh, uh, very shocking because in the ancient world, uh, Hebrew slaves were not allowed uh, to put on the shoes or tie on tie the laces of their master. Right? It was like too, too beneath them, too lowly, too shameful, too humiliating for the Hebrew slave to tie on tie and put on sandals. Because essentially, even though one may be the master, one may be the slave, they are all human beings, right? Uh, so in the same way, I mean, uh, I see domestic maids or servants putting on the shoes for children, uh, but I never see uh, domestic maids or servants putting on the shoes for adults, right? Because it just seems like there's something inherently wrong with that, right? I mean, like, I mean, come on, put on your own shoes, right? But what is happening here is that that John the Baptist, he's saying that the one who comes after him is so great that he's not even worthy to do this small little thing uh, for Jesus. And what, what John is really saying is, he's saying that he's recognizing his place in the universe, right? He's, he's recognizing his hierarchy in the universe. That the person coming after him is of such great significance, such great magnitude, that even he, the great John the Baptist, is not even worthy to, to this menial task for Jesus. Now, what he's really trying to say here is that Jesus is so great because he is of a different category of existence, different category of reality. Because John the Baptist comes baptizing with just normal water. But Jesus, because he is God, he comes baptizing with the Holy Spirit. Right? So, it's not human to human, it is like human to divine. Because don't forget, John the Baptist is not some nobody, right? 
He is the first prophet in 300 years of Israel's history. If you look at verse 5, vast crowds came to John the Baptist. Right? He is like the pastor of the biggest mega church of that time sort of thing. Okay? And he's like basically saying that this person coming after him is so much greater than him that he can't even put on his shoes. And that's how great Jesus is. But even as great as Jesus is, you notice here that Jesus is so humble. Uh, because in verse 9, it says that at that time, when, Jesus, sorry, when John was baptizing, <clears throat> Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Now here we see something strange happening. Okay, now, when we read the book of Mark, uh, Mark doesn't give you any more editorial comments after this, right? He he's kind of like just puts you in the action, right? You know, it's like an action movie, to, so to speak. So the way we read Mark is we are, we are, we're meant to be like in the scene and we're kind of asking ourselves, why is this happening, right? What's happening here? Why do these people respond this way? Why, why, why does Jesus do this? So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, if Jesus is the Son of God and He's fully divine, then why does He need to be baptized? Because He doesn't need to repent. But we see here actually <clears throat> that Jesus in humility allows himself to be baptized because three things happen. The heavens are ripped open, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, and there is a voice saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So therefore, as we look at this passage, what I think we're meant to understand is, and again, Mark doesn't tell us these things, we're supposed to figure it out for ourselves, right? is that Jesus is baptized not for his sake, but for our sake. It's part of the testimony of the good news which has come in Jesus. It is like there are three um, stamps of approval by God from heaven. Heaven's open, the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, and a voice from heaven affirms Jesus. So in this way, as we read it, we're meant to see that this Jesus is someone special. It's not just because Mark said it, it's because heaven declares that Jesus is special. It affirms and confirms the reality, the truth of Jesus' divinity, Jesus' Messiahship, Jesus being the Christ. Now, when Jesus then is anointed by the Holy Spirit, which then allows him to baptize with the Spirit, the Spirit brings him out into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan. Now again, Mark doesn't give us lots and lots of details. We're not told, like in the book of Matthew, of the three you know, uh, confrontations that he has with uh, Satan. But as we come to this very part, uh, I want you to reflect on it, right? Because it's going to come out as a common theme in the book of Mark. That actually the coming of Jesus is fundamentally a coming into the world confronting the power of Satan in this world. So when you look at this passage, 
What he's really saying is that Jesus comes into the world and the first thing he does is that he faces Satan. He's confronted by Satan. He's tempted by Satan. And he struggles with Satan. And yet, as we read it, he comes out untouched by Satan. So I think that as we look at this passage again, if you look on the slide, uh, okay, the slide, yep, the good news is of the forgiveness of sins. But the good news also is that Jesus comes to overcome the power of Satan, right? He comes to defeat Satan. Uh, the, the, the fact that the Holy Spirit brings him out to the wilderness to challenge Satan shows us that part of the agenda of Jesus must be to challenge the power and the realm of Satan. And this ties in exactly with verse 14 and 15. Uh, because in verse 14 and 15, Jesus then begins his ministry. So, okay, first 13 and, uh, verse 1 to 13 is one section. Then verse 14, Jesus begins his ministry. And the first thing he says in his, as he begins his ministry is he starts preaching, right? So in verse 14 he says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went to the Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I think that as we read verse 14 and 15, as we look back to verse 13, we see that as the kingdom of God comes into this world, the power of Satan, the power of the evil spirits is actually being pushed back. And this is part of how Jesus brings the kingdom of God into this world. It's not just a geographic thing. It is a it is a power, it's a realm thing. He's bringing his power into the world so that the power of Satan is actually defeated. And as we look at this passage, <clears throat> we see that the second part of the response to this good news is now in view. Right. So the first part was, repent. Okay, the second part is, the next slide, okay. Uh, yep, next one. Is as he brings in the kingdom of God. Okay, next one. Okay, next one is that you are to believe, right? Believe the good news. So repent and believe in the good news so that you may have forgiveness, so that you may defeat Satan, and so that you may be in the realm of the kingdom of God. Now, when you actually um, read the news, right? So the last few days I've been... Actually, I read the news every day. Lah, okay, I'm sure you all read news anyway. I mean, there's news everywhere. There's the Guardian app, BBC app. China News Asia app. When I was actually been reading the news, I was thinking, okay, let me go to the news today and find good news. Uh, you know, it was really, really hard to find any good news in the last few days or weeks of reading newspaper. The only good news I could find was that the weather in Singapore is getting cooler. Right? That was the only good news that I could really find. You know, that it's raining more, it's cooler, it's windier. It's nice, right? You know, you, you can actually wear... Uh, 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 no, I have this um, this very nice jacket I bought. I, I thought I can actually wear this jacket in Singapore. That was the good news. And when you think of the good news, really, the good news that uh, I could find the newspaper, it's very temporary, right? Because I think the good news of the weather being cooler in Singapore is going to expire by the end of January. Okay, so it's going to be hot like normal again and humid. But the good news here of the Bible is like eternal. Right, it's like it comes from long, you know, it's long time coming, but when it comes, Jesus, the Son of God, who is divine, the Christ, He's going to bring forgiveness of sins so we can have a relationship with God. He's going to defeat the power of Satan in this world, and He's going to bring in the realm of God's kingdom, and we can enter into it 
for eternity. Now that is the news that we read in the Gospel of Mark. And what we need to do is we need to repent and we need to believe. That's all we need to do. Right? So one day I was, uh, <clears throat> I was reading this book uh, just recently. Um, and there was a quote in the book which I thought was uh, very apt for a description of the world that we live in today. He says that, you know, the world is made up of hollow men. Okay, I was thinking, wow, that's a, quite a deep phrase, right? You know, the world is made up of hollow men. Made up of hollow men and made up of hollow women. And why the writer said that was because he said that actually people, men and women today, are like, on the outside, you know, we have lots of material things, but inside we're empty. We're hollow inside. Uh, we are empty and devoid of direction in life. Uh, the modern men and women, the hollow, are hollow inside because they're devoid of any meaning and purpose in life. And in a sense, like this writer was saying, we're hollow inside because we're devoid of life itself. And the reason is because we, we have nothing that actually fills us up inside. We have lots of news, but there's never anything that is truly good or everlasting or meaningful or true. So this person was saying our entertainment is full of violence and sex. Uh, we watch, uh, you know, I remember watching Netflix uh, a few weeks ago. And for the first time I saw this movie where actually the heroes, so-called heroes, knock down a pedestrian and they think it's really funny, right? And I was thinking to myself, how can you knock down, a, how can my hero in the movie knock down a pedestrian and think it's funny, right? There's something wrong there. Because heroes don't knock down pedestrians and think it's funny, right? You know, we read on the internet things which are full of lies and untruth, and uh, we speak to one another through social media with uh, malice and anger and hate. So in many senses, I agree with what this writer said, that we are hollow inside. We are hollow men. We are hollow women. So one of the uh, resolutions that I always have every year is to read the Bible more. Right, whenever the new year comes, I say, okay, I must read more Bible. <clears throat> but actually what I found is, over the last year, I find it's actually been a lot easier uh, for me to read the Bible more and not to read so much news. Because I feel like there's only so much news I can consume these days. I, I, I turn to the news and it's so depressing. Right, there's, there's global warming everywhere, there's disaster uh, at an individual level, there is, uh, you know, there's a lot of unhappiness and angst and hate and, uh, and, and, and frustration, uh, there is trade war, uh, you can't respect global leaders, or global leaders do things which are not very respectful. And so when I read God's word, uh, by its very nature, it's completely different. I feel refreshed, uh, I feel encouraged, I feel uh, restored. And I think that's because the Bible is of a different category of news, isn't it? It is truly good news. And it is eternal good news. It is of a news which has been a long time coming. It is news from God. It is news about God coming to this world. And it is about eternal life, forgiveness. It is about the restoration of this world outside the power of Satan. It is about the kingdom of God coming. And all it requires of us is to turn back to God in repentance and to believe in this good news of God. Okay, let's go to God. Oh, sorry, still looking at that thing. Okay. 
Okay, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we truly thank you for the good news that we read in the book of Mark. Dear Father, how we need this good news. Because we live in a world where there is overwhelming bad news. And this good news that we read, dear Father, is true, it is relevant, and truly uh, restores our soul. For you speak of your Son, Jesus, who is holy God, come into this world. He is the Christ, the everlasting King. He is the one who brings forgiveness of sins and breaks the power of Satan and ushers in the kingdom of God. Dear Father, we pray for each and every soul here today that indeed we will enter into that kingdom. We will receive this good news of joy in repentance and in belief. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.